Welcome to the Abata Audio Guide to the story of the Curra. This guide has been produced by Abata in conjunction with Kildare County Council. It outlines the rich and varied heritage and history of the Curra, an area of immense environmental, archaeological, historical and cultural significance. Situated in the heart of the county, between the towns of Newbridge and Kildare, the Curra is a unique landscape the likes of which is not found anywhere else in Ireland. This vast plain, almost devoid of trees and hedgerows, stretches over an area of some 4,870 acres. The circumstances by which this remarkable natural feature was created are fascinating, and the combined forces of humankind and nature have shaped the Curra over many millennia. What has resulted is an exceptional array of flora and fauna which is of international importance. There is an intricate interplay between the landscape of the Curra and the people who live nearby. Over millennia, the people have shaped and influenced the landscape, and in turn the landscape has moulded and influenced the lives of the people surrounding the plains. The physical features of the Curra alone are worthy of attention, but they are just one aspect of our story. The Curra has been at the centre of key events in Irish history. It is a treasure trove of archaeological monuments that provide tantalising hints about the rituals and customs of our prehistoric ancestors. With the arrival of Christianity in the 5th century, the Curra became intimately associated with Ireland's foremost female saint, Bridget, and has been referred to as St Bridget's Pastures. In later centuries, the flat, open landscape was the scene of fierce battles, military exercises and at least one bloody massacre. In the 19th century, it became a permanent home for military forces and was at the centre of several key events during the struggle for Irish independence and the subsequent civil war. The Curra Camp today contains the National Training Centre for the Defence Forces, which has an establishment of approximately 1,200 personnel. There are other intriguing dimensions to the story of the Curra. The plains have long been favoured as a location for horse racing, and today the Curra is the headquarters of the world-renowned Irish equine industry. Motor racing, boxing, golf, hawking and hare coursing are amongst the other recreational pursuits that have taken place on the Curra over the years. Intertwined with all of that are the stories of many personalities who have been linked with the Curra over the centuries, from the legendary Irish warrior Fionn McCool to Dan Donnelly, Ireland's champion prizefighter. Situated in the centre of Ireland, just 40 kilometres from Dublin and accessible by road and rail, the Curra is well worth the visit. You can stroll across the plain, visit numerous places of interest and appreciate this marvellous landscape at close quarters. We hope this guide will encourage you to do so. Around 12,000 years ago, Ireland was in the grip of the last ice age and a massive ice sheet covered most of the country. As the glaciers slowly retreated and the ice began to melt, a large volume of sand and gravel, which had accumulated under the glaciers, was washed northwestwards from the Wicklow Mountains. This flow of glacial meltwater and debris fanned out over a broad expanse of countryside before it was blocked by the red hills of northwest Kildare. Deposits between 20 and 100 metres thick were laid down on a bed of carboniferous limestone rock. These glacial deposits created the Curra. Curiously, the creation of the Curra led in turn to the creation of the city of Dublin. Before the Ice Age, the Liffey flowed northwest from the Wicklow Mountains to join the River Barrow. Following the formation of the Curra, the Liffey was diverted to the north and east towards the coast. The mouth of the Liffey was the perfect location for the development of the city of Dublin. The Curra is referred to in ancient documents as Curraglife. 
The Irish word curach translates as plain, although according to the 10th century book of Leinster, curach was the name of a man in an ancient story. He was slain on the curragh following a marriage dispute. The name Litha also comes from an ancient figure, a woman who was the wife of Deltana MacDrochta, a cupbearer of Conor Moore, the mythical High King of Ireland in the first century BC. The name Curragh Litha suggests that the plain once stretched as far as the River Liffey, so we can be fairly certain that the Curragh covered a larger area in the past. Over the centuries, the edges of the plain have been reclaimed and enclosed. However, the current area of 4,870 acres has been protected since the passing of the Curragh Act of 1868. Its value as a natural and cultural resource was further recognised with the passing of subsequent Curragh Acts in 1870, 1961 and 1964, and its designation as a recorded monument under the National Monuments Act. One of the most important yet unseen features of the Curragh is the Curragh Aquifer. This is a large underground body of fresh water stored within the sand, gravel and limestone. The Curragh Aquifer is the largest of its kind in the country and is an invaluable water supply for those living in and around the plains. In fact, it is greater in extent than the Curragh itself and covers an area of around 200 square kilometres. The water table is closest to the surface on Long Hill, the current location of the military camp. From here, water flows in three directions, west to the River Barrow, east to the River Liffey and north to Pollardstown Fen. The Curragh Aquifer is also the main water source for the Grand Canal and at one point supplied water for the brewing of Guinness at St James's Gate in Dublin. There is evidence that the Curragh has been a grassland habitat for at least 2,000 years. It has been speculated that because the soils were light and shallow on the Curragh, woodland vegetation did not grow as heavily. It was, therefore, easier for prehistoric farmers to clear the land and so the Curragh became a hub of agriculture and settlement. The continuation of traditional low-intensity farming methods on the Curragh is the principal reason for the preservation of this unique habitat. The Curragh is a remarkable survival of ancient Ireland in both historical and biological senses. Nowhere else in the lowlands of Ireland has a pastoral economy based on the exercise of common rights over a great tract of grassland survived. An interesting point about the Curragh is that as a result of the nature of land ownership, artificial fertilisers are not used to improve the soil. Consequently, the various species of grasses which grow across the plain are characteristic of acidic, nutrient-poor soils, and they have disappeared from intensively farmed areas adjacent to the curragh. Dry heath, which is defined by the presence of heather and rushes, is prevalent on the northwest side of the motorway. Here, several species of orchid can be found growing in the wild. Wet heath and bog occupy the area known as the Little Curragh in the extreme northwest. Here, a narrow layer of peaty soil overlies areas of poor drainage and supports plants more characteristic of peatland habitats such as purple moorgrass, bog cottons and the peat-building sphagnum moss. Perhaps the most outstanding aspect of the Curragh is the presence of a vast, uninterrupted expanse of semi-natural acid grassland, characterised by a springy, fine-leafed turf. Grasses common here include common bent grass, sheep's fescue, mat grass, crested dog's tail grass and acid-loving moss species. This grassland may at first appear to be species poor and of little interest, but closer inspection reveals a rich diversity of species overlooked by the untrained eye. In particular, the Curragh supports one of the richest assemblages of wax cap fungi in Ireland. 
Rich assemblages of these fungi are key indicators of ancient and undisturbed grasslands. These mushroom-like species thrive on the uncultivated, unfertilized soils, and their presence in such abundance and diversity is hugely significant in the Irish and European contexts. Distinguished by their bright red and pink colours, they are most visible in autumn and are best seen in the area around Donnelly's Hollow and the Curragh Golf Club. The fact that many of these species are extremely rare and endangered highlights the importance of the Curragh as a vital but delicate ecosystem. Several species of birds have found a home on the Curragh. Amongst the most noteworthy are the golden plover, a large bird with attractive golden brown feathering which is common in winter and appears in flocks of hundreds. Lapwings can also be seen gathering here in large numbers. Other birds which favour open grassy areas such as the skylark and the meadow pipit are also present. The prevalence of gorse bushes on the Curragh, known locally as firs, adds to the distinctive character of the landscape and its colourful yellow flowers are a bright splash of colour on the green plains. Furze bushes help to provide shelter for sheep and other animals. In bygone days, furze was an important source of firewood and the cutting of bushes for this purpose helped to control its spread. Nowadays, the management of furze presents a challenge. If left unchecked, it can invade and take over grassland areas. Lying to the north of the Curragh, Pollardstown Fen is a distinctive natural habitat which is home to several rare species of plants and animals. A fen is a particular type of wetland with a permanently high water level. At Pollardstown, the water level is maintained by numerous springs along its periphery which drain water away from the Curragh. The fen itself is a feeder for the Grand Canal. Another channel was dug in the 1780s to carry water northwards to the canal at Robertstown. Pollardstown Fen itself was originally a lake, created after the last ice age, which gradually became overgrown by vegetation over thousands of years. However, the constant flow of water through the system meant that it did not develop into a bog. In the 1980s, 220 hectares of the fen was presented to the state and designated as a nature reserve. Thanks to the construction of a boardwalk, part of the fen is now accessible to the public. Pollardstown Fen is primarily made up of reed beds, along with plants adapted to fen habitats such as the black bog rush and sausage. This provides a home for some very rare and sensitive species, including the marsh fritillary butterfly, Geyer's world snail, and a particular type of moth fly which is found nowhere else in the world. Birds like the reed bunting and sedge warbler can be spotted with patience and a sharp eye while otters prowl through the water in search of a meal. The wealth of archaeological monuments in and around the Curragh show its importance to people over thousands of years. From cartographic sources, it appears that the Curragh was once the site of a Neolithic monument known as a cursus. Maps from the early 19th century appear to show this feature on the crest of Long Hill, the site of the current military camp. Cursus monuments generally consisted of an avenue between two parallel raised banks of earth. The most plausible theory as to their purpose is that they served as ceremonial processional routes. Although no trace of this monument remains, the two ends of the Curra Cursus were believed to have overlooked the River Liffey to the east and the River Barrow to the west. Professor Gabriel Cooney of University College Dublin suggests that the Curragh Curses may have acted as a route of formalised procession through an important ritual landscape and that it connected prominent landmarks and monuments. A similar monument to the Curses that may have been present on the Curragh can be seen in the famous Ciachmi Horta, the banqueting hall 
on the hill of Tara. There are remains of two other significant linear earthworks traversing the Curra. One of these, known as the Race of the Black Pig, stretches east to west from Balimani, before swinging northwards to Rathbride. It consists of a ditch that measures one metre deep and two metres wide, with raised banks on both sides. The purpose of this feature is not entirely clear. Some experts have suggested that it was part of an ancient roadway known as the Slidala. Others have said that it was part of a ritual procession route, while another theory is that it was a territorial boundary marker. The other linear earthwork is known as the Black Ditch and runs in a north-south direction along the eastern part of the Curra for about two and a half kilometres. It has two distinct sections, a ditch with no banks and an earthen bank with trenches on either side. Traces of the Black Ditch can be seen on the right-hand side of the OR413 as you travel south. The earthworks of the Black Ditch and the race of the Black Pig are suggested to have formed more practical routeways for activities such as cattle driving through the ritual landscape of the Curra. The Curra is one of Ireland's most important prehistoric ritual landscapes. It has a significant concentration of Bronze Age and Iron Age burial sites, known as ring ditches and ring barrows. These monuments generally consisted of a burial encircled by a ditch. They occur in several clusters across the plain, especially in the northwest around Kildare Golf Club and in the southeast near Ballysax. The presence of these monuments in such large numbers indicates that the Curra was an important burial place in ancient times and was undoubtedly linked to its significance as a ritual site over many centuries. The large hill known as Nachollen that dominates the skyline to the southeast of the Curra is home to one of the old royal sites of Ireland, Dunollen, the ancient seat of the kings of Leinster. Excavations carried out here in the 1970s uncovered evidence of a massive circular earthwork called a henge that enclosed an area of 35 acres. The excavations revealed that Dunolin had several phases of development and use and appears to have been a key ceremonial site between the 4th century BC and 4th century AD. Many of the archaeological features identified on the Curra date to the time of Dunolin, and it is likely that the Curra was part of an extended ritual landscape that was intimately connected to this ancient royal site. Dunolin is comparable in layout to many of Ireland's other ancient royal sites. Intriguingly, it is suggested that there is a line of sight between Nachollen and the Hill of Tara, the seat of the High Kings of Ireland, over 50 kilometres away. Another important archaeological monument on the Curra is the Gibbet Rath, a large circular earthwork situated in the heart of the plain. This is thought to have once been an important residence, meeting place and assembly point. The abundance of archaeological monuments in and around the Curra is certain evidence of prehistoric human activity. Myths and legends that have been handed down across the centuries, as well as written evidence from early documents, provide some clues as to the nature of this early society. We know that the Curra was an important place for large gatherings. According to written sources such as the Annals of the Four Masters and the Book of Leinster, fairs, known in Irish as Enoch, were once held there. Enoch Liffa and Enoch Carmen were the two most important assemblies and were hugely significant events in the tribal society of ancient Ireland. These were formal affairs which took place every three years during August and lasted up to a week. They were occasions of sporting contests, trade and marriage ceremonies. They were used to issue laws and decrees. But most importantly, 
funerary rites were held during these fairs. This may provide a link to the proliferation of burial places across the Curra. The Einach and the Curra drew crowds from across the Kingdom of Leinster and were presided over by kings and chieftains. The fact that the Curra was the site of such gatherings may explain why it remained relatively uncultivated. There are references in laws of the time prohibiting ploughing of land on the Curra. To the north of the Curra is the Hill of Allen, known as Cynoch In Irish mythology, this was the seat of Fionn McCool, one of ancient Ireland's most famous warriors. His band of troops, known as the Fianna, are said to have used the Curra as a training ground. Today, the hill is surmounted by a 19th century tower built by George Almer. The names of those who constructed the tower are carved on each of the steps. It is said that when the tower was being constructed, a large coffin with human bones was unearthed. These were reputedly the bones of Fionn McCool. 1,500 years ago, St. Bridget founded her monastery at Drumcree, literally the Ridge of Clay, a site now occupied by Kildare Town. She is referred to by a 10th century writer as the nun who drives over the Curra. According to legend, Bridget cured the King of Leinster of a serious deformity, as he had ass's ears. As well as being embarrassing, a physical defect could potentially be fatal, as kings at this time had to be the Far Flaham, the perfect man physically and in judgment and deed. In return for curing him, the king granted Bridget as much land as her cloak would cover. Bridget laid her cloak on the ground and it suddenly and miraculously spread out to cover the entire Curra Plain. There are references in the lives of Bridget to her flocks of sheep, cows and goats, which no doubt roamed and grazed the curra. Bridget's era marked the transition into the historic period and our knowledge of events on the curra from this point forward is more tangible. In contrast to Bridget's serene influence, military conflict became the main theme of the historic period. Due to its strategic importance and the open nature of the plains, the Curra has been the scene of numerous military encounters over its history. The Annals of the Four Masters refers to the Battle of Curragh in September 777 AD between Rory and Bran, from which Rory emerged the victor. In later centuries, the Vikings rampaged across the Curragh from Dublin as they raided the monastery of Kildare and other religious houses. In a revenge attack in 942, Brian, King of Leinster, mustered his troops at the Hill of Allen north of the Curra before marching to attack Dublin. Following the arrival of the Normans in the late 12th century, the Norman leader Strongbow used the Curra as his military headquarters. As a result of the conquest, Norman lords were granted lands around the Curra and across Ireland. One of those who came into the possession of lands was the third Earl of Pembroke, Richard Marshall, a grandson of Strongbow and son of the famous William Marshall, who built castles and towns across Leinster, Wales and France. When his father William died, Richard was the heir to the vast lands. He was denied his inheritance and exiled, falsely accused of treason and associating with the king's enemies in France in an attempt to amalgamate the huge martial inheritance into the royal coffers. King Henry III was persuaded by his counsellors to order the Norman lord, Geoffrey de Marisco, who was a trusted friend of Richard and his father, to capture Richard Marshall. And if he succeeded, de Marisco would be rewarded with all of the martial lands in Ireland. Marshall and a small number of loyal men were summoned to a meeting on the Curra, where they were surrounded by Walter de Lacey, Lord of Meath, Hugh de Lacey, Earl of Ulster, Maurice Fitzgerald, Lord of Offaly, and a large number of knights and soldiers. 
De Marisco is said to have advised his old friend Marshall not to surrender and instead to fight, declaring that he would support him. However, as soon as the battle started, De Marisco withdrew his men, telling Marshall that he had just remembered that he was newly married to Hugh de Lacey's sister and so could not possibly fight his brother-in-law. Despite this treachery, Marshall bravely fought on and is said to have slaughtered six of the knights in a battle that raged for over ten hours. He fought so furiously that the others feared to approach him. They had their foot soldiers maim Marshall's horse with lances and halberds. In its agony, the horse threw Marshall at the feet of his foes. One of his enemies lifted the back of his mail and stabbed him in the back. Despite his grievous wounds, Richard Marshall survived until the medical treatment he received, his wounds probed with a red-hot poker, finished him off, and the noble knight died. During the Confederate Wars of the mid-17th century, armies used the curra to muster their troops and pitch camp. Jacobite regiments gathered here in 1689 and were joined by a French force of 7,000 the following year. They marched northwards to confront the army of King William of Orange, but were roundly defeated at the Battle of the Boyne. During the American War of Independence and the Napoleonic Wars, the British Army and volunteer militias utilised the Curragh for drills and manoeuvres. Perhaps the most notorious event on the Curragh was the bloody massacre at Gibbet Rath in 1798. The rebellion of 1798 was a particularly painful time for Kildare, and Kildare town was burned twice during those dark days. The rebellion was led by the United Irishmen, and one of the chief leaders was Lord Edward Fitzgerald of Kildare. On the 24th of May 1798, the rebellion began with attacks on Clane, Nace, Prosperous and Ballymore Eustace. Kildare Town itself was occupied by around 2,000 rebels. A retired soldier, George Crawford, and his 14-year-old granddaughter were brutally murdered, and a British officer, Lieutenant William Gifford, who was a passenger on the Limerick mail coach, was shot and piked to death in Kildare. However, the rebellion fell quickly into disarray compromised by informers and spies. The rebels from Kildare assembled at the Gibbet Rath on the Curragh to seek to surrender to the British forces. On the 29th of May, just five days after the beginning of the rebellion, the British forces under General Sir James Duff arrived in Kildare and found the town nearly destroyed, and the bodies of Lieutenant Gifford and Crawford flung into a ditch. Furious, Duff brought his forces to the Gibbet Rath, where the rebels were already negotiating a surrender with another British officer, General Dundas. Accounts vary as to what happened next. Some say a rebel, in an act of defiance, fired his musket. Others say there was no provocation. The cavalry, who were reconnoitering ahead of the main force, saw the rebels were out of formation and vulnerable. On their own initiative, the cavalry tore through the rebels who had no cover on the open plain of the Curragh. 350 were killed, including a Carmelite friar, Father O'Farrell, who had been negotiating the surrender. The next morning in Kildare town, on one street alone, 85 widows mourned their men. From the 18th century onwards, the Curragh became home to regular military activity and manoeuvres. The use of the Curragh as a military training ground intensified during the Napoleonic Wars, when the British Army set up encampments on the plains. During the summertime, upwards of 10,000 men were camped here. The Crimean War provided the impetus for the construction of a permanent military barracks. In 1855, work commenced on the construction of 450 timber huts and was completed within months, along with a post office, fire station, water pumping station and churches. The clock tower, 
originally a water tower, was erected at this time and is now one of the most prominent landmarks on the plains. Over time, the Curragh camp became a town in its own right, with a hospital, schools, a bakery and recreational facilities. A military cemetery occupies a hilltop location to the east of the camp. The Curragh camp soon became the principal base for the British military in Ireland, with accommodation for 20,000 troops. The British Parliament passed two Curragh of Kildare Acts in 1868 and 1870 for the purpose of making provision for management and use of the Curragh. The presence of the military had led to difficulties over rights of way and grazing. The Curragh remained Crown lands and was divided into three zones, namely the Brown, Blue and Green lands for management purposes. The military was given control of the Brown lands, over which the sheep rights were extinguished, and certain uses of the Blue lands. The Blue lands and Green lands remained under the control of the Ranger, a prestigious appointment made at the will of the Lord Lieutenant. In subsequent decades, the terrain around the camp was greatly altered, with the construction of rifle ranges, trenches, pillboxes and bunkers, as well as tree planting for screening purposes. The most high-profile soldier stationed here in the camp's early years was the Prince of Wales, later King Edward VIII, who arrived in August 1861 for ten weeks of infantry training. He was visited the following month by his mother, Queen Victoria, and father, Prince Albert, and a large troop review was held to mark the occasion. The Prince's stay was photographed extensively, providing an interesting visual perspective of the times. One of the most infamous events at the camp took place in March 1914 and became known as the Curragh Mutiny. Britain was preparing to grant home rule to Ireland at this time, but there was strong resistance among Unionists, particularly in Ulster. The government and military commanders prepared plans to take action against the newly formed Ulster Volunteer Force. However, several British officers based at the Curragh signalled their refusal to take part in any action against Ulster Unionists, with whom they felt a strong degree of political allegiance. The officers were dismissed, but later reinstated to their posts. Just a few short months later, many of them would be fighting in the trenches of Belgium and France. As well as being a military station, the Curragh camp was utilised as a place of internment. The British authorities at first used Hare Park Camp, which had been constructed to billet large numbers of troops during World War I, but due to its deterioration, they constructed the Rath Camp near Gibbet Rath in 1921. This housed 1,500 Irish prisoners during the War of Independence. Although later demolished, the outline of the camp can still be seen in the grass. All changed following the Anglo-Irish Treaty of 1921. On May 16, 1922, British troops departed and a contingent of 500 Irish soldiers took possession of the camp. Some of them had been imprisoned in Rath Camp the previous year. During the Civil War, anti-treaty prisoners were held in camps known as Tintown 1, 2 and 3. Tragically, the Curragh was the place of execution for seven anti-treaty soldiers in December 1922, the single biggest execution during the Irish Civil War. Although Ireland remained neutral during World War II, combatants from both sides were interned in a specially segregated camp at the Curragh. This was known as the K-Lines, the camp taking its name from the alphabetically named squares of the original camp, which is close to the Curragh Golf Club. These internees were mainly British, German and US airmen who had crashed or landed on Irish soil. In reality, the prisoners were given considerable leeway and were allowed to travel outside the camp to visit homes and attend social events. There were also a large number of IRA internees held at the Curragh during this period. 
To learn more about the history of the Curra camp, you can visit the Curra Military Museum, which has exhibits and audiovisual presentations. The museum is subdivided into three parts, encompassing the archaeology of the Curra, including flora and fauna, the British military presence up to 1922, and finally, the Irish Defence Forces. One of the centrepieces of the museum is the Slievenamon armoured car, which was part of Michael Collins's convoy when he was ambushed and killed in August 1922. The museum is a non-profit, permanent institution and is open free to the public. For further details, visit www.military.ie. Apart from the physical factors of soil type and climate, a number of other factors have been vital to the conservation of acid grasslands within the Curra. Most importantly is the long continuity of extensive common grazing on the plains. This once widespread agricultural system has now virtually disappeared from lowland Ireland and Western Europe, as common lands have been enclosed and improved to increase agricultural productivity. We know that the Curra has been a natural grassland habitat for at least 2,000 years. In the absence of a detailed study of the pollen record, we can only speculate about the precise processes and circumstances by which the Curra grassland was formed. The soils and geology of the Curra were undoubtedly influential. The thin soils of the Curra are subject to leaching, whereby the minerals are washed down through the soil and into the gravel below by rainwater. In prehistoric times, therefore, this would have meant that the land did not support dense forest and was easier for prehistoric peoples to clear. Ancient laws formulated during the assemblies held on the Curra prohibited the ploughing of the land. This situation prevailed over the following centuries. The monk and chronicler Geraldus Cambrensis, who visited Ireland in the 12th century following the Norman invasion, wrote that no plough was suffered to turn a furrow on the curra. He also remarked that, although all the cattle of the province should graze the herbage from morn till night, the next morning the grass would be as luxuriant as ever. Clearly, the curra was much prized as a pasture in this period and has been ever since. A parliamentary decree issued in 1299 during the reign of King Edward I prohibited the feeding of pigs on the curra to prevent damage to the grassland. During the Confederate Wars of the mid-17th century, the Irish forces of Colonel Grace gathered up all the animals on the plain, which included 650 cows, along with cattle, sheep and pigs. Many visitors over the centuries since have commented on the verdant grasses and abundance of animals grazing the curra. The famed English agriculturalist Arthur Young, who visited in 1777, described it as forming a more beautiful lawn than the hand of art ever made. The land at that time was owned by the British Crown, but was grazed in common meaning that several farmers held long-standing rights to graze their animals on the plains. With the passing of the Curra Act of 1868, which reserved the sole use to the military and removed the right to graze on the brown lands, there was much resentment among local graziers. The findings of the commission established to address the grazing issue were embodied in a further Curra Act in 1870. This granted rights to specific individuals to graze a defined number of sheep on the plains. Grazing rights were linked to land ownership on the fringes of the curra. Animals other than sheep were prohibited from grazing from this point forward and the total number of sheep allowed was limited to approximately two per acre. However, in recent times, some evidence of tillage on the curra has emerged. Ridges that indicate ploughed and cultivated ground are visible in several places and have also been picked up by aerial photography and satellite. In the area known as St. Ledger's Bottoms, right in the heart of the curra, the faint outline of the ridges are apparent. 
While some of the cultivation ridges may date from the early 19th century when Ireland experienced significant population pressure, it appears that many may be much older. Further study is required, but perhaps we have to revise our cherished notion of the curragh as an area untouched by the plough. Since time immemorial, the curragh has found favour with the equine fraternity. Horse and chariot racing and other equine pursuits were a central part of the Enoch assemblies held on the curragh in ancient times, and it is said that Fionn McCool and his Fianna also honed their horsemanship skills on the plain. Its proximity to Dublin meant that by the 17th century, the curragh had become popular as a racing venue with the gentry. Horse owners would challenge each other in one-to-one -one contests. In these early days of racing, spectators on horseback or in carriages would follow the racehorses around the course on the inside of the track. Defined racecourses, including a four-mile track, were created during the 18th century. Journey's racing calendar of 1727 contains the earliest reference to a race on the Curragh. The initiation of the Curragh races, sponsored annually by the British monarch, led to more regulated and formal racing. A beautiful map drawn by Henry Walker in 1807 illustrates the various courses that were laid out across the terrain. Training lodges to house and prepare horses for the races sprang up around the Curragh during this period. Many of these buildings, with their charming vernacular architecture, can still be seen. The Turf Club was established in Kildare Town in the late 18th century to promote and encourage horse racing. It drew up formal rules governing racing and published a calendar of events. Today it is the regulatory body for horse racing in Ireland and its headquarters are adjacent to the Curragh Racecourse. The Turf Club is also the owner of the racecourse on 816 acres of Curragh Greenlands leased by the Minister for Defence under the terms of the Curragh of Kildare Act 1961. In addition, the Racecourse Committee use a number of training areas also under agreement from the Minister for Defence. All five classic flat races are run on the Curragh annually. They include the Irish 1000 and 2000 guineas, the Irish Oaks and the St Ledger. However, the most prestigious race is undoubtedly the Irish Derby, which was run for the 150th time in 2015. These races attract the top horses, jockeys and trainers from around the world. Nowadays, the Curragh is the heart of the world-renowned Irish racing industry and is considered a global centre of excellence. Several leading trainers are based in the locality and use the gallops to exercise their animals. The Irish National Stud is situated close by at Tully, just outside Kildare Town, and is a centre of excellence for the breeding of world-class horses. There is no better way to experience the Irish passion for horse racing than attending a race meeting at the Curragh. Here you can experience the noise, colour and spectacle of a top-quality race meeting, along with the best in hospitality and catering. As well as the five classics, there are 13 race meetings annually. Visit the Curra Racecourse website for further details. Although best known as a centre of horse racing, the Curra has provided a location for many other recreational pursuits over the years. As far back as the 1660s, Thomas Monk referred to it as a place naturally adapted to pleasure. One of the largest crowds to ever assemble here came to witness the feats of a boxer, the famous Dan Donnelly. Born into poverty in Dublin in 1788, he attained prowess as a bare-knuckle fighter in the bars and streets of the capital. A man of robust physique, he was encouraged by Captain William Kelly to take up a career as a prize fighter. Kelly resided in Maddenstown, just south of the Curragh, and thus Donnelly became associated with this part of Kildare. 
Just off the OR413 road from the Curragh to Kilcullen, near Athgarvan School, is Donnelly's Hollow, where the legendary pugilist fought his most famous bout. This natural amphitheatre was the perfect location for spectators to view the fight. An estimated 20,000 people are said to have watched Donnelly defeat Tom Hall in 1814 and the English champion George Cooper the following year. An obelisk was erected in 1888 to mark the site and Donnelly's footsteps are still to be seen in the grassy surface of the hollow. For his third and final bout, Donnelly travelled to England in 1819 to beat Tom Oliver after 34 punishing rounds. Donnelly became a national hero and to many of his compatriots he symbolised the struggle to rid Ireland of English domination. However, his rakish lifestyle was his undoing and he died in poverty in 1820, aged just 32. Following a massive funeral and burial in the Bully's Acre, Kilmainham, his remains attracted the attention of grave robbers and his body was stolen. For over a century after his death, his amputated arm was circulated amongst various parties and at one point was exhibited as part of a circus show. It eventually found a home at the Hideout Pub in Kilcullen, where it remained until 2005. In 2010, the mummified arm was included in the Fighting Irishman exhibition, celebrating Celtic prizefighters 1820 to present, compiled by the Irish Arts Centre, New York City. The flat landscape of the Curragh found favour with the motor racing fraternity in the early years of the sport. It was in July 1903 that the first motor race on the British Isles was held along a 90-mile circuit that traversed the Curragh between Kilcullen and Kildare Town. The figure of eight route also took in Monaster Evans, Stradbally, Carlow and Athai. At stake was the prestigious Gordon Bennett Cup, the premier international prize of the time and the precursor of the modern Grand Prix. Competitors from the UK, France, Germany and the US completed 350 miles of racing before the Belgian Camille Genazzi, known as the Red Devil, emerged victorious. The heyday of motor racing in the Curra was in the late 1940s and early 1950s when regular car and motorbike races took place on two circuits, known as the Long and Short Circuits. The Wakefield Trophy was the major prize on offer and it was won in 1951 by the 22-year-old Sterling Moss, who went on to become one of the best-known figures in motorsport. The increasing speed of vehicles and a number of fatal accidents brought an end to motor racing on public roads. Various hunting activities have taken place on the Curragh for millennia. Hare coursing was popular until the 19th century and the wild hares of the Curragh were said to be the strongest and fastest in the country. Special hare parks and fox coverts are visible on 19th century maps and were constructed to breed and house the animals. Fox hunting, cockfighting and falconry were amongst the other sporting pursuits practised here. Today, more sedate pursuits such as golf, jogging and tag rugby are common on the Curragh's plains. The Curragh Golf Club was founded in 1852 and is the oldest in Ireland. There are many other fascinating strands to the story of the Curragh. During the 19th century, the plains were home to the Curragh Wrens. This term was a euphemism for the women who worked as prostitutes in the vicinity of the army encampments. After construction of the permanent camp in the 1850s, they became a fixed presence. The Wrens were so called as they lived in small hovels made of sods among the firs embankments. Conditions were dire and the women and their children lived in extreme poverty. It was estimated that at any one time about a hundred wrens resided around the camp. Newspaper reports brought their situation to public attention and the authorities made several attempts to move them. 
The Lock Hospital in Kildare was built in 1869 under the Contagious Disease Act to forcibly treat the unfortunate women and thereby reduce the spread of infection to the soldiers. Nevertheless, the Wrens continued to be a feature of Curra life for decades afterwards. Hundreds of years after the last real battle on the Curra, the plains were used in the reenactment of military encounters between Scottish warrior William Wallace and his English foes. The battle scenes from the Oscar-winning film Braveheart, starring Mel Gibson, were shot on the Irish Army's lands in the southern part of the Curra in 1994. Gibson and his film crew received plenty of local assistance. 1,500 members of the Reserve Defence Forces took part as extras, playing the part of both Scottish and English soldiers. They helped to create what were considered the most realistic medieval battle scenes captured on the big screen up to that time. The area that featured in the movie became known locally as Braveheart Hill. Given the unique nature of the Curra, it is no surprise to learn that it has been celebrated in song. The Curra of Kildare is a soft Irish folk ballad in which a man pines for his true love and promises to travel to meet her on the Curra. It's straight I will repair to the Curra of Kildare, he sings. Several versions of the song have been documented as far back as the 18th century, and it seems that Scottish poet Robert Burns wrote the original version. The most well-known modern rendition comes from Kildare's own Christy Moore. We would like to thank you for listening to this audio guide and hope you enjoyed the stories of the Curra of Kildare. We hope that this guide will encourage you to visit some of the places mentioned and that you will get a deeper understanding and appreciation of the significance and unique nature of the Curra. If you do visit, please note that the Curra is a sensitive landscape that needs to be treated with care and respect. The Curra is home to military exercises, sheep grazing, horse training, and in addition is the habitat of rare and endangered species of plants and animals. Visitors should take care not to disrupt or damage the various habitats. Driving of vehicles of any kind across the plains is strictly prohibited, as is the dumping of rubbish. Photography or making of sketches are not permitted in areas in close proximity to the Defence Forces Training Centre. You should also take note of any military warning signs and be aware that military manoeuvres are a regular occurrence on the plains. Please remain on the road if you see red flags or flashing lights. For further information on the Curra and on other things to see and do in Kildare, visit the local tourist office in Kildare Town or consult www.kildare.ie.